letter C, the equal protection clause, the equal protection of the law clause is against undue favor and individual or class privilege as well as hostile discrimination or the oppression of inequality. It is not intended to prohibit legislation which is limited either in the object to which it is directed or by territory within which it is to operate. It does not demand absolute equality among residents. It merely requires that all persons shall be treated alike under like circumstances and conditions, both as to privileges conferred and liabilities enforced. The Equal Protection Clause is not infringed by legislation which applies only to those persons falling within a specific, specified class if it applies alike to all persons within such class and reasonable grounds exist for making a distinction between those who fall within such class and those who do not uh, by two coolly constitutional limitations, 824 to 825. The Due Process Clause. The Due Process Clause has to do with the reasonableness of legislation enacted in pursuance of the police power. Is there public interest a public purpose? Is public welfare involved? Is the act reasonably necessary for the accomplishment of the legislature's purpose? Is it not unreasonable, arbitrary, or oppressive? Is there sufficient foundation or reason in connection with the matter involved? Or has there not been a capricious use of the legislative power? Can, can the aims conceived be achieved by the means used or is it not merely an unjustified interference with private interests? These are the questions that we ask when the due process test is applied. The conflict, therefore, between police power and the guarantees of due process and equal protection of the laws is more apparent than real. Properly related, the power and the guarantees are supposed to coexist. The balancing is the essence, or shall it be said, the indispensable means for the attainment of legitimate aspirations of any democratic society. There can be no absolute power who over-exercise it, for that would be tyranny. Yet there can neither be absolute liberty, for that would mean license and anarchy. So that state can deprive persons of life, liberty, and property provided there is true process of law. And persons may be classified into classes and groups provided everyone is given the equal protection of the law. The test or standard, as always, is reason. The police power legislation must be firmly grounded on public interest and welfare, and a reasonable relation must exist between purposes and means. And if distinction and classification has been made, there must be a reasonable basis for said distinction. Legislative discretion not subject to judicial review. Now, in the matter of equitable balancing, what is the proper place and role of the courts? It must not be overlooked in the first place that the legislature, which is the constitutional repository of police power and exercises the prerogative of determining the policy of the state, is by force of circumstances primarily the judge of necessity, adequacy, or reasonableness and wisdom or of any law promulgated in the exercise of the police power or of the measures adopted to implement the public policy or to achieve public interest, on the other hand, courts, although zealous guardians or individual liberty and right of individual liberty and right, have nevertheless evinced a reluctance to interfere with the exercise of the legislative prerogative. They have done so early where there has been a clear patent or palpable arbitrary and unreasonable abuse of the legislative prerogative. Moreover, courts are not supposed to override legitimate policy and courts never inquire into the wisdom of the law. Economic problems sought to be remedied. 
With the above considerations in mind, we will now proceed to delve directly into the issue in whole. If the disputed legislation were merely a regulation, as its title indicates, there would be no question that it falls within the legitimate scope of legislative power. But it goes further and prohibits a group of residents, the aliens, from engaging therein. The problem becomes more complex because its subject is a common trait or occupation as old as society itself, which from the immemorial has always been open to residents irrespective of race, color, or citizenship. <clears throat> Importance of retail trade in the economy of the nation. In a primitive economy where families produce all that they consume and consume all that they produce, the dealer, of course, is unknown. But as group life develops and families begin to live in communities producing more than what they consume and needing an infinite number of things they do not produce, the dealer comes into existence. As villages develop into big communities and specialization in production begins, the dealer's importance is enhanced. Under modern conditions and standards of living, in which man's needs have multiplied and diversified to unlimited extent and proportions, the retailer comes as essential as the producer because through him the infinite variety of articles, goods, and needed for daily life are placed within the easy reach of consumers. Retail dealers perform the functions of capillaries in the human body through which all the needed goods Food and supplies are, are administered to members of the communities comprising the nation. There cannot be any question about the importance of the retailer in the life of the community. He ministers to the re residents' daily needs, food in all its increasing forms, and the various little gadgets and things needed for home and daily life. He provides his customers around his store with the rice or corn, the fish, the salt, the vinegar, the spices needed for the daily cooking, his clothes to sell, even the needle and the thread to saw them, or darn the clothes that wear out. The retailer, therefore, from the lowly peddler, the owner of a small sari-sari store, to the operator of a department store or a supermarket, is so much a part, a part of day-to-day -day existence. The Alien Retailer's Trade the alien retailer must have started plying his trades in this country in the bigger center of population. Time there was when he was unknown in provincial towns and villages. Slowly but gradually, the invaded towns and villages, now he predominates in the cities and big centers of population. He even pioneers in faraway nooks where the beginnings of community life appear ministering to the daily needs of the residents and purchasing their agricultural produce for sale in the towns. It is an undeniable fact that in many communities, the alien has replaced the native retailer. He has shown in this trade industry without limit and the patience and forbearance of a slave. Derogatory epithets are hurled at him, but he laughs this off without murmur. Insults of ill-bred and insolent neighbors and customers are made in his face, but he heeds them not, and he forgets and forgives. The community takes note of him as he appears to be harmless and extremely useful. Alleged alien control and dominance. There is a general feeling 
on the part of the public which appears to be true to fact about the controlling and dominant position that the alien retailer holds in the nation's economy, food and other essentials, clothing, almost all articles of daily life reach the residents mostly through him. In big cities and centers of population, he has acquired not only predominance but apparent control over distribution of almost all kinds of goods such as lumber, hardware, textiles, groceries, drugs, sugar, flour, garlic, and scores of other goods and articles. And were it not for some national corporations like the Narik, the Namarco, the Pacomas, and the Asafa, his control over principal foods and products would easily become full and complete. Petitioner denies that there is alien predominance and control in the retail trade. In one breath, it is said that the fear is unfounded and the threat is imagined. In another, it is charged that the law is merely the result of radicalism and pure and unbashed nationalism. Alienage, it is said, is not an element of control. Also, so many unmanageable factors in the retail business make control virtually impossible. The first argument which brings up an issue of fact merits serious consideration. <coughs> the others are matters of opinion within the exclusive competence of the legislature and beyond our prerogative to pass upon and decide. The best evidence are the statistics on the retail trade which put down the figures in black and white between the Constitutional Convention year 1935 when the fear of alien domination and control of the retail trade already filled the minds of our leaders with fear and misgivings and the year of the enactment of the nationalization of the retail trade act in 1954, official statistics unmistakably point out to the ever-increasing dominance and control by the alien of the retail trade as witnessed the following tables.
estimated assets and gross sales of retail establishment by year and nationality of owners benchmark 1948 census issued by the Bureau of Census and Statistics Department of Commerce and Industry um, page 18 to 19 of the answer, of answer. The above statistics do not include corporations and partnership. While the figures of Philippine establishments already include mere market vendors whose capital is necessarily small, the above figures reveal that in percentage distribution of assets and draw sales, alien participation had steadily, had, has steadily increased during the years. It is true, of course, that Philippines have the edge in the number of retailers, but aliens more than make up for the numerical gap through their assets and gross sales, which average between six and seven times those of the very many Filipino retailers. Numbers in retailers here do not imply superiority. The alien invests more capital, buys and sells six to seven times more, and gains much more. The same official report pointing out to the known predominance of foreign elements in the retail trade remarks that the Filipino retailers were largely engaged in minor retailer enterprises. As observed by respondents, the native investment is thinly spread and Filipino retailer is practically helpless in matters of capital, credit, price, and supply. Um, alien control and threat subject of apprehension in constitutional convention. It is this domination and control which we believe has been sufficiently shown to exist that is the legislators target and the enactment of the disputed nationalization would never have been adopted. The framers of our constitution also believed in the existence of this alien dominance and control when they approved a resolution categorically declaring, among other things, that it is the sense of the convention that the public interest requires the nationalization of the retail trade. Um, that was 20 years ago, and the events since then have not been either pleasant or comforting. Dean Cinco of the University of the Philippines College of Law, commenting on the patrimony clause of the preamble of Heinz that the fathers of our constitution were merely translating the general preoccupation of Filipinos of the dangers from alien interests that had already brought under their control the commercial and other economic activities of the country. And analyzing the concern of the members of the Constitutional Convention for the economic life of the citizens in connection with the nationalistic provisions of the Constitution, he says, But there has been a general feeling that alien dominance over the economic life of the country is not desirable, and that if such a situation should remain, political independence alone is no guarantee to national stability and strength. Filipino private capital is not big enough to wrest from alien hands the control of the national economy. Moreover, it is but of recent formation and hence largely inexperienced, timid, and hesitant. Under such conditions, the government as the instrumentality of the national will has to step in and assume the initiative, if not the leadership, and the struggle for the economic freedom of the nation in somewhat the same way that it did in the crusade for political freedom. Thus, if the Constitution envisages an organized movement for the protection of the nation not only against the possibilities of armed invasion, but also against its economic subjugation by alien interests in the economic field. Belief in the existence of alien control and predominance is felt in other quarters. Filipino businessmen, manufacturers, and producers believe so. 
They fear the dangers coming from alien control and they express sentiments of economic independence. Witness thereto is Resolution Number 1, approved on July 18, 1953 of the Fifth National Convention of Filipino Businessmen and a similar resolution approved on March 20, 1954 of the Second National Convention of Manufacturers and Producers. The man in the street also believes and fears alien predominance and control. So our newspapers, which have editorially pointed out not only to control but to alien stranglehold, we therefore find alien dominance and control to be a fact, a reality proved by official statistics and felt by all the sections and groups that compose the Filipino community. Dangers of alien control and dominance in retail but the dangers arising from alien participation in retail trade does not seem to lie in the predominance alone. There is a prevailing feeling that such predominance may truly endanger the national interest. <clears throat> this is really long. I have to finish reading this. Let's see where am I? With ample capital, unity of purpose and action, and thorough organization, alien retailers and merchants can act in such complete unison and concert on such vital matters as the fixing of prices, the determination of the amount of goods or articles to be made available in the market, and even the choice of the goods or articles they would or would not patronize or distribute, that fears of dislocation of the national economy and of the complete subservience of national economy and of the consuming public are not entirely unfounded. Nationals, producers, and consumers alike can be placed completely at their mercy. This is easily illustrated. Suppose an article of daily use is desired to be prescribed by the alias. Because the producer or importer does not offer them sufficient profits, or because a new competing article offers big profits for its introduction, all that aliens would do is to agree to refuse to sell the first article, eliminating it from their stocks, offering the new one as a substitute. Hence, the producers or importers of the prescribed article or its consumers find the article suddenly out of the prescribed article or its consumers find the article suddenly out of circulation. Freedom of trade is thus curtailed and free enterprise correspondingly suppressed. We can even go farther than theoretical illustrations to show the pernicious influences of alien domination. Grave abuses have characterized the exercise of the retail trade by aliens. It is a fact within judicial notice which courts of justice may not properly overlook or ignore in the interest of truth and justice that there exists a general feeling on the part of the public that alien participation in the retail trade has been attended by a pernicious and intolerable practices, the mention of a few of which would suffice for our purposes, that at some time or other they have cornered the market of essential commodities like corn and rice, creating artificial scarcities to justify and enhance profits to unreasonable proportions, that they have hoarded essential foods to the inconvenience and prejudice of the consuming public so much 
so that the government has had to establish the National Rice and Corn Corporation to save the public from their continuous hoarding practices and tendencies that they have violated price control laws, especially on foods and essential commodities, such that the legislature had to enact a law, Section 9 Republic Act Number 1168, authorizing their immediate and automatic deportation for price control convictions, that they have secret combinations among themselves to control prices, cheating the operation of the law of supply and demand, that they have connived to boycott honest merchants and traders who would not cater or yield to their demands. In unlawful restraint of freedom of trade and enterprise, they are believed by the public to have evaded tax laws, smuggled goods and money into and out of the land, violated import and export prohibitions, control laws, and the like. In their reason, and contempt of lawful authority. It is also believed that they have engaged in corrupting public officials with fabulous bribes, indirectly causing the prevalence of graft and corruption in the government. As a matter of fact, appeals to unscrupulous aliens have been made both by the government and by their own lawful diplomatic representatives' action, which impliedly admits a prevailing feeling about the existence of many of the above practices. The circumstances above set forth create well-founded fears that worse things may come in the future. The present dominance of the alien retailer, especially in the big centers of population, therefore becomes a potential source of danger on occasions of war or other calamity. We do not have here in this country isolated groups of harmless aliens retailing goods among nationals. What we have are well-organized and powerful groups that dominate the distribution of goods and commodities in the communities and big centers of population. They owe no allegiance or loyalty to the state, and the state cannot rely upon them in times of crisis or emergency, while the national holds his life, his person, and his property subject to the needs of his country. The alien may even become the potential enemy of the state law enacted in interest of national economic survival and security, we're fully satisfied upon a consideration of all the facts and circumstances that the disputed law is not the product of racial hostility, prejudice, or discrimination, but the expression of the legitimate desire and determination of the people through their authorized representatives to free the nation from the economic situation that has unfortunately been saddled upon it rightly or wrongly to its disadvantage. The law is clearly in the interest of the public, nay of the national security itself, and indisputably falls within the scope of police power through which and by which the state ensures its existence and security and the supreme welfare of the citizens. The equal protection limitation. Objections to alien participation in retail trade. The next question that now poses solution is, does the law deny the equal protection of the laws, as pointed out above? The mere fact of alienage is the root and cause of the distinction between the alien and the national as a trader. The alien resident owes allegiance to the country of his birth or his adopted country. His stay here is for personal convenience. He is attracted by the lure of gain and profit. His aim or purpose of stay, we admit, is neither illegitimate nor immoral. But he is naturally lacking in the spirit of loyalty and enthusiasm for this country, where he temporarily stays and makes his living or of that spirit of regard, sympathy, and consideration for his Filipino customers, as would prevent him from taking advantage of their weakness and exploiting them. The faster he makes his pile, the earlier can the alien go back to his beloved country and his beloved kin and countrymen. 
the experience of the country is that the alien retailer has shown such utter disregard for his customers and the people on whom he makes his profit that it has been found necessary to adopt the legislation radical as it may seem. Another objection to the alien retailer in this country is that he never really makes a gen genuine contribution to national income and wealth. He undoubtedly contributes to general distribution, but the gains and profits he makes are not invested in industries that would help the country's economy and increase national wealth. The alien's interest in this country being merely transient and temporary, it would indeed be ill-advised to continue entrusting the very important function of retail distribution to his hands. The practices resorted to by aliens in the control of distribution, as already pointed out above, their secret manipulation of stocks of commodities and prices, their utter disregard of the welfare of their customers, and of the ultimate happiness of the people of the nation, of which they are mere guests, which practices, manipulations, and disregard do not attend the ex exercise of the trade by the nationals, show the existence of real and actual positive and fundamental differences <coughs> between an alien <coughs> and a national which fully justify the legislative classification adopted in the retail trade measure. These differences are certainly a valid reason for the state to prefer the national over the alien in the retail trade. We would be doing violence to fact and reality were we to hold that no reason or ground for a legitimate distinction can be found between one and the other. It's still mahaba, but yeah, we're going to finish this because this is really a good case. Okay, I, I like reading this one. Okay, um, I'm not sure where am I already, but I think, wait, I'm on letter B, I think. Yep. Difference in alien aims and purpose is sufficient basis for distinction. The above objectionable characteristics of the exercise of the retail trade by the aliens which are actual and real furnish sufficient grounds for legislative classification of retail traders into nationals and aliens. Some may disagree with the wisdom of the legislature's classification. To this we answer that this is the prerogative of the law-making power since the court finds that the classification is actual, real, and reasonable and all persons of one class are treated alike and as it cannot be said that the classification is patently unreasonable and unfounded. It is in duty to bound to declare that the legislature acted within its legitimate prerogative and it cannot declare that the act transcends the limit of equal protection established by the Constitution. Broadly speaking, the power of the legislature to make distinctions and classifications among persons is not curtailed or denied by the equal protection of the laws clause. The legislative power admits of a wide scope of discretion and a law can be violative of the constitutional limitation only when the classification is without a reasonable basis. In addition to the authorities we have earlier cited, we can also refer to the case of Lindsay versus Natural Carbonic Fasco, 1911-55-LED-369, which clearly and succinctly defined the application of equal protection clause to a law sought to be voided as contrary thereto. 
the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment does not take from the state the power to classify in the adoption of police powers, police laws, but admits of the exercise of the wide scope of discretion in that regard and avoids what is done only when it is without any reasonable basis and therefore is purely arbitrary. Classification having some reasonable basis does not offend against that clause merely because it is not made with mathematical nicety or because in practice it results in some inequality when the classification in such a law is called in question. If any state of facts reasonably can be conceived that would sustain it, the existence of that state of facts at the time the law was enacted must be assumed. One who assails the classification in such a law must carry the burden of showing that it does not rest upon any reasonable basis but is essentially arbitrary. Authorities recognizing citizenship as basis for classification. The question as to whether or not citizenship is a legal and valid ground for classification has already been affirmatively decided in this jurisdiction as well as in various courts in the United States. In the case of Smith Bell, and Call versus Natividad, that's 40 Phil 136, where the validity of Act Number 2761 of the Philippine Legislature was an issue because of a condition therein limiting the ownership of vessels engaged in coastwise trade to corporations formed by citizens of the Philippine Islands or the United States, thus denying the right to aliens, it was held that the Philippine Legislature did not violate the Equal Protection Clause of the Philippine Bill of Rights. The legislature in enacting the law had as ultimate purpose the encouragement of Philippine shipbuilding and the safety for these islands um, from foreign interlopers. We held that this was a valid exercise of the police power and all presumptions are in favor of its constitutionality. In substance, we held that the limitation of domestic ownership of vessels engaged in coastwise trade to citizens of the Philippines does not violate the equal protection of the law and due process or law clauses of the Philippine Bill of Rights. In rendering said decision, we quoted with the approval and um, the concurring opinion of Justice Johnson in the case of Gibbons versus of the nine with as follows. Licensing acts, in fact, in legislation are universally restraining acts, as for example, acts licensing gaming houses, retailers of spirituous liquors, etc. The act in this instance is distinctly of that character and forms part of an extensive system, the object of which is to encourage American shipping and place them on an equal footing with the shipping of other nations. Almost every commercial nation reserves to its own subjects a monopoly of its coasting trade, and a countervailing privilege in favor of American shipping is contemplated in the whole legislation of the United States on this subject. It is not to give the vessel an American character that the license is granted. That effect has been correctly attributed to the act of her enrollment, but it is to confer on her American privileges as contradistinguished from foreign and to preserve the government from fraud by foreigners, in surreptitiously intruding themselves into the American commercial marine, as well as frauds upon the revenue in the trade coastwise, that this whole system is projected. The rule in general is as follows. Aliens are under no special constitutional protection 
which forbids a classification otherwise justified simply because the limitation of the class falls along the lines of nationality. That would be requiring a higher degree of protection for aliens as a class than for similar classes than for similar classes of American citizens, broadly speaking. The difference in status between citizens and aliens constitutes the basis for reasonable classification in the exercise of police power. In Commonwealth versus HANA 81 and E, 149 Massachusetts 1907 a statute on the licensing of hawkers and peddlers which provided that no one can obtain a license unless he is or has declared his intention to become a citizen of the United States was held valid for the following reason. It may seem wise to the legislature to limit the business of those who are supposed to have regard for the welfare, good order, and happiness of the community. And the court cannot question this judgment and conclusion. In Bloomfield v. State 99 and E309, Ohio 1912, a statute which prevented certain persons, among them aliens, from engaging in the traffic of liquors was found not to be the result of race hatred or inhospitality or a deliberate purpose to discriminate, but was based on the belief that an alien cannot be sufficiently acquainted with our institutions and our life as to enable him to appreciate the relation of this particular business to our entire social fabric and was not therefore invalid. In Ohio, X. Rel. Clark versus Dekebat 274 U.S. 392-71-LED-115-1926, the U.S. Supreme Court has under consideration an ordinance of the city of Cincinnati prohibiting the issuance of licenses, pools, and billiard rooms to aliens. It held that plainly irrational discrimination against aliens is prohibited. But it does not follow that alien race and allegiance may not bear, in some instances, such a relation to a legitimate object of legislation as to be made the basis of permitted classification, and that it could not state that the legislation is clearly wrong, and that latitude must be allowed for the legislative appraisement of local conditions and for the legislative choice of methods for controlling an apprehended evil. The case of State v. Carroll, 124 and 8129, Ohio, 1990, is a parallel case to the one at bar. In Asakura v. City of Seattle, 210, page 30, Washington, 1922, the business of phone brooking was considered as having tendencies injuring public interest and limiting it to citizens is within the scope of police power. A similar stage of denying aliens the right to engage in auctioneering was also sustained in Wright v. May, LRA, 1915, um, page 151, Minnesota, 1914. So also in Anton v. Van Winkle, 297 um, F340, Oregon, 1924, the court said that aliens are judicially known to have different interests, knowledge, attitude, psychology, and loyalty. Hence, the prohibitions of issuance of licenses to them for the businesses of phone brokers, pool, billiards, card, room, dance halls is not an infringement of constitutional rights. In Templar v. Michigan State Board of Examiners, 90 NW 1058, Michigan, 1902, a law prohibiting the, a law prohibiting the licensing of aliens as barbers was held void. But the reason for the decision was the court's findings that the exercise of the business by the aliens does not in any way affect the morals, the health, or even the convenience of the community. In Takahashi versus Fish and Game Commission 92 L. Ed. 1479-1947, a California statute banning 
the issuance of commercial fishing licenses to persons ineligible to citizenship was held void because the law conflicts with federal power over immigration and because there is no public interest in the mere claim of ownership of the waters and the fish in them. So there was no adequate justification for the discrimination. If it further added that the law was the outgrowth of antagonism toward the persons of Japanese ancestry. However, two justices dissented on the theory that fishing rights have been treated traditionally as natural resources. In Fraser v. McConway and Tarley Co., 82 Fed 257 Pennsylvania, 1897, a state law which imposed a tax on every employer or foreign-born unnaturalized male persons over 21 years of age was declared void because the court found that there was no reason for the classification and the tax was an arbitrary deduction from the daily wage of an employee. Um, I will check first kung gaano pa siya Because this is seriously long. I think about, I don't know how long. <clears throat> Authorities contra explain. It is true that some decisions of the federal court and of the state courts in the United States hold that the distinction between aliens and citizens is not valid ground for classification. But in this decision, the laws declared invalid were found to be either arbitrary, unreasonable, or capricious, or were the result or product of racial antagonism and hostility, and there was no question of public interest involved or pursued. Okay, I think I'm gonna record this one I should be recording in 4k because I think that's that is much more I think it should be in here but the problem is with my laptop as it okay uh, okay, in Yu Kong Eng, in Yu Kong Eng versus Trinidad 70 L at 1059-1925, the United States Supreme Court declared invalid a Philippine law making unlawful the keeping of books of accounts in any language other than English, Spanish, or any other local dialect, but the main reason for the decisions are that if Chinese were driven out of the business, there would be no other system of distribution, and that the Chinese would fall prey to all kinds of fraud because they would be deprived of their right to be advised of their business and to direct its conduct. The real reason for the decision, therefore, is the court's belief that no public benefit would be derived from the operations of the law, and on the other hand, it would deprive Chinese of some indispensable for carrying on their business. I'm gonna check now. LN 1059-1925, the United States Supreme Court declared invalid a Philippine law making unlawful the keeping of books of accounts in any language other than English, Spanish, or any other local dialect. But the main reason for the decisions are that if Chinese were driven out of the business, there would be no other system of distribution. And that the Chinese would fall break all kinds of fraud because they would be deprived of their right 
to the advice of their business and to direct its conduct. The real reason for the decision, therefore, is the court's belief that no public benefit would be derived from the operations of the law, and on the other hand, it would be trying to stop indispensable for carrying on their business. should be putting this in here in front of me or somewhere kasi if I will be looking kasi for example I will be looking I would probably be looking dito first I need to look here kasi nga naka video naman like I don't know I probably would just open na lang yung video dito. Ah, yung camera. I mean, yung camera dito. I'll check lang. This would be like... Uh, I cannot make this a little bit smaller. Is this the smallest? Um, it is true that some decisions of the federal court and of the state courts in the United States hold that the distinction between aliens and citizens is not a valid ground for classification. But in this decision, the laws declared invalid were found to be either arbitrary, unreasonable, or capricious. Okay, I'm gonna check like, okay, Okay, I'm gonna check. Like, okay. So, kailangan pala na sa ano siya. 
sa taas-taas ng bonte. Like, for example, let's try na. Pagka ganito, I mean, this is bigger pa naman. Pero, like, for example, if I will make this nasa taas, like this one. It is true that some decisions of the federal court and of the state courts in the United States hold that the distinction between aliens and citizens is not a valid ground for classification, but in this decision, the law declared invalid were found to be either arbitrary, unreasonable, or capricious, or were the result of or products of racial antagonism and hostility, and there was no question of public interest involved or pursued. Let's see. Let's try it now. This is bigger. Like, for example, if I will make this, this one. It is true that some decisions of the federal court and of the state courts in the United States hold that the distinction between aliens and citizens is not a valid ground for classification, but in this decision, the law declared invalid or probably either arbitrary and reasonable or capricious or were the result of more products of racial antagonism and is and there was no question of public interest in the purpose. Let's see. I think that's better. I'm going to record this. Um, in Yu Kong Eng versus Trinidad, 70L at 1059-1925, the United States Supreme Court declared um, invalid a Philippine law making unlawful the keeping of books of accounts in any language other than English, Spanish, or any other dialect. But the main reasons for the decision are that if Chinese were driven out of business, there would be no other system of distribution, and the Chinese would fall prey to all kinds of fraud because they would be deprived of their right to be advised, their business, and to direct its conduct. The real reason for the decision, therefore, is the courts believe that no public benefit would be derived from the operations of the law, and on the other hand, it would deprive Chinese of something indispensable for carrying on their business. In Ye Kuo versus Hopkins 30L at 200-1885, an ordinance conferring powers on officials to withhold consent in the operation of laundries both as to persons in place was declared invalid but the court said that the power granted was arbitrary, that there was no reason for the discrimination which attended the administration and implementation of the law, and that the motive thereof was mere racial hostility in state versus Montgomery 47 A165 May 1900. A law prohibiting aliens to engage as hawkers and peddlers was declared void because the discrimination bore no reasonable and just relation to the act in response to which the classification was proposed. The case at bar is radically different, and the fact make them so. As we already have said, aliens do not naturally possess the sympathetic consideration and regard for the customers with whom they come in daily contact nor the patriotic desire to help bolster the nation's economy, except in so far as it enhances their profit, nor the loyalty and allegiance which the national owes the lot. These limitations and the classifications of the aliens have been shown on many occasions and instances, especially in times of crisis and emergency. We can do no better than borrow the language of Anton versus Van Winkle to 97F, 343-342 to drive home the reality and significance of the distinction between the alien and the national laws. It may be judicially known, however, that alien coming into this country are without the intimate knowledge of our laws. 
customs and usages that our people have. So it is likewise known that certain classes of aliens are of different psychology from our fellow countrymen. Furthermore, it is natural and reasonable to suppose that the foreign-born whose allegiance is first to their own country and whose ideals of governmental environment and control have been engendered and formed under entirely different regimes and political systems have not the, the same inspiration for the public will nor as they are as well disposed toward the United States as those who by citizenship are a part of the government itself. Further enlargement is unnecessary. I have said enough so that obviously it cannot be affirmed with absolute confidence that the legislature was without plausible reason for making the classification and therefore appropriate discriminations against aliens as it relates to the subject of legislation. The due process of law limitation, reasonability, the tests of the limitation, determination by legislature decisive. We now come to due process as a limitation on the exercise of police power. It has been stated by the highest authority, the United States, that and the guarantee of due process, as has often been held, demands only that the law shall not be unreasonable, arbitrary, or capricious, and that the means selected shall have a real and substantial relation to the subject sought to be attained. So far as the requirement of due process is concerned and in the absence of other constitutional restriction, a state is free to adopt whatever economic policy may reasonably be deemed to promote public welfare and to enforce that policy by legislation adapted to its purpose. The courts are without authority either to declare such policy or when it is declared by the legislature to override it. If the laws past are seen to have a reasonable relation to a proper legislative purpose and are neither arbitrary nor discriminatory, the requirements of due process are satisfied and judicial determination to the effect renders a court functious official. Another authority states the principle thus, too much significance cannot be given to the word reasonable in considering the scope of the police power in a constitutional sense for the test result used to determine the constitutionality of the means employed by the legislature is to inquire whether the decision it imposes on rights secured to individuals by the Bill of Rights are unreasonable and not whether it imposes any restrictions on such rights. A statute to be within this power must also be reasonable in its operation upon the persons whom it affects, must not be for the annoyance of a particular class, and must not be unduly oppressive. In the case of Lawton v. Steele, 38 LED 385-388, it, it was also held to justify the state in thus interposing its authority in behalf of the public. It must appear first that the interest of the public generally as distinguished from those of a particular class requires such interference and second, that the means are reasonably necessary for the accomplishment of the purpose and not actually oppressive upon individuals. Prata undertaking Co. v. State Board of Embalming, 104 ALR 389395, fixes this test of constitutionality. In determining whether a given act of the legislature passed in the exercise of the police power to regulate the operation of a business is or is not constitutional, one of the first questions to be considered by the court is whether the power is exercised has a sufficient foundation in reason in connection with the matter involved or is an arbitrary, oppressive, and capricious use of that power without substantial relation to the health, safety, morals, comfort, and general welfare of the public. Petitioner's argument considered. Petitioner's main argument is that retail is a common, ordinary occupation, one of those privileges long ago recognized as essential to the orderly pursuit of happiness by freemen. 
that is a gainful and honest occupation and therefore beyond the power of the legislature to prohibit and penalize. This argument overlooks fact and reality and rests on an incorrect assumption and premise that in this country, where the occupation is engaged in by petitioner, it has been so engaged by him, by the alien in an honest, creditable, and unimpreachable manner, without harm or injury to the citizens and without ultimate danger to their economic peace, tranquility, and welfare. But the legislature has found, as we have also found and indicated, that the privilege has been so grossly abused by the alien through the illegitimate use of pernicious designs and practices that he now enjoys as a monopolistic control of the occupation and threatens a deadly stranglehold on the nation's economy, endangering the national security in times of crisis and emergency. The real question at issue, issue therefore, is not that post by petitioner, which overlooks and ignores the facts and circumstances, but this is the exclusion in the future of aliens from the retail trade unreasonable. Arbitrary capricious taking into account the illegitimate and pernicious form and manner in which the aliens have heretofore engaged therein, as thus correctly stated, the answer is clear. The law in question is deemed absolutely necessary to bring about the desired legislative objective to free national economy from alien control and dominance. It is not necessarily unreasonable because it affects private rights and privileges. The test of reasonableness of a law is the appropriateness or adequacy under all circumstances of the means adopted to carry out its purpose into effect. Judged by this test, disputed legislation, which is not merely reasonable but actually necessary, must be considered not to have infringed the constitutional limitation of reasonableness. The necessity of the law in question is explained in the explanatory note that accompanied the bill which later was enacted into law. This bill proposes to regulate the retail business. Its purpose is to prevent persons who are not citizens of the Philippines from having a stranglehold upon our economic life. If the persons who control this vital artery of our economic life are the ones who owe no allegiance to this republic, with no profound devotion to our free institutions, and who have no permanent stake in our people's welfare, we are not really the masters of our destiny. All aspects of our life, even our national security, will be at the mercy of other people. In seeking to accomplish the foregoing purpose, we do not propose to deprive persons who are not citizens of the Philippines of their means of livelihood. While this bill seeks to take away from the hands of persons who are not citizens of the Philippines a power that can be wielded to paralyze all aspects of our national life and endanger our national security, it respects existing rights. The approval of this bill is necessary for our national survival. If political independence is a legitimate aspiration of people, then economic independence is nonetheless legitimate. Freedom and liberty are not real and positive if the people are subject to the economic control and domination of others, especially if not of their own race or country. The removal and eradication of the shackles of foreign economic control and domination is one of the noblest motives that a national legislature may pursue. It is impossible to conceive that legislation that seeks to bring it about can infringe the constitutional limitation of due process. The attainment of a legitimate aspiration of a people can never be beyond the limits of legislative authority.
law expressly held by constitutional convention to be within the sphere of legislative action. The framers of the Constitution could not have intended to impose the constitutional restrictions of due process on the attainment of such a novel motive as freedom from economic control and domination through the exercise of the police power. The fathers of the Constitution must have given to the legislature full authority and power to enact legislation that would promote the supreme happiness of the people, their freedom and liberty. On the precise issue now before us, they expressly made their voice clear. They adopted a resolution expressing their belief that the legis legislation in question is within the scope of the legislative power. Thus, they declared the, uh, their resolution that it is the sense of the convention that the public interest requires the nationalization of retail trade, but it abstained from approving the amendment introduced by the delegate for Manila, Mr. Araneta, and others on this matter because it is convinced that the National Assembly is authorized to promulgate a law which limits to Filipino and American citizens the privilege to engage in the retail trade. It would do well to refer to the nationalistic tendency manifested in various provisions of the Constitution. Thus, in the preamble, a principal objective is the conservation of the patrimony of the nation as a cor and as corollary the provision limiting citizens of the Philippines the exploitation, development, and utilization of its natural resources. And in Section 8 of Article 14, it is provided that no franchise, certificate, or any other form of authorization for the operation of the public utility shall be granted except to citizens of the Philippines. The nationalization of the retail trade is only a continuance of the nationalistic protective policy laid down as a primary objective of the Constitution. Can it be said that a law imbued with the same purpose and spirit underlying many of the provisions of the Constitution is unreasonable, invalid, and unconstitutional? The seriousness of the legislature's concern for the plight of the nationals as manifested in the approval of the radical measures is therefore fully justified. It would have been recreant to its duties towards the country and its people would it view the sorry plight of the nationals with the complacency and refuse or neglect to adopt a remedy commensurate with the demands of public interest and national survival. As the repository of the sovereign power of legislation, the legislature was in duty bound to face the problem and meet through adequate measures the danger and threat that alien domination of retail trade poses to national economy. Provisions of law not unreasonable. A cursory study of the provisions of the law immediately reveals how tolerant, how reasonable the legislature has been. The law is made prospective and recognizes the right and privilege of those already engaged in, in the occupation to continue therein during the rest of their lives. And similar recognition of the right to continue is accorded associations of aliens. The right of or privilege is denied to those only upon conviction of certain offenses. In the deliberations of the court on this case, attention was called to the fact that the privilege should not have been denied to children and heirs of aliens now engaged in the retail trade. Such provision would defeat the law itself, um, its aims and purpose, beside the exercise of legislative discretion. Hello?
Pundado, ayan. Pangatik ko to sa ubi na din sinis ya. Ini sabi mo kalos, ba't na? Ba't naan ko? Mga bang, bang kasi, bang kasi, sigasab do, syempre, matumpik lang sila, uncontrollable na ba? Na bang kasi mag-abot na kita to yun, uncontrollable na issue eh, um, mana, beyond our control na ba? Ham na kulo niya, usap dahinang ta? Sabay kulo sa bang, example lang, ba't na, okay, gya, nga, kahagad gya, so ang abot na kita to yun, saka, mana ta control, eh, ba't dahinang na, ba't beyond our control na? So, why kulo, 
Suway ko nun yan. Naman, nipa, nipa, nipasagaw na. Nambaldo na sa, yoy, maaho, manta sa'yo tamba ako, pero there are, there, there is factor din naman na siga sabi niya, usap sariling uh, problema siga. Ang kanamba na, basta tapaubaya isiga, the whole of their energy kami mo, makapikilan siga, 100% ni pamuhan isiga, Maka, baka malay mo naman niya sa pinagdaanan, but hati ko ako, dapat usap na bang. Pero what I mean, i-consider sa beta, but hihi ba? Langkan na ko, ma. Ah, okay, na, 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 nakabang na ko. Bangko, ba, makatabang, ma. Ba, nakam, baka, baka, baka magpa-stress to, uman. Baka, ba, ba, tilo ba, ni, nakam. Ma. Magpa-stress kami ni Lunya, balo ba'y mangyari? Ya, balo ba'y tahinang, tahinang mangyari ba't ilo? Magpa-stress kami? Ano niya? So, pwede si Jacob mo. Ako, isa na kabatis ko na nakamikil marumpikilan ni, ni patana ito nga ng mga pangatayan nga hindi ka magpa-stress ito. Ano ba na ka magpa-stress? Ay to, mandurusap kita. Mandurusap. Ma. Daw ba? Daw ba? Daw ba ba tilo? Example, yun na nabim ba na ba ang matihi? Si Champuilo, mayroon sa kulmang kaamang takayay barat na sa magturot sa kasangong lahat. Kung subahan ni Kaya Rosabe na, what I mean to say, ma, bang ba tilo ya prevalent na ba? Maka... ba? Tasayo ko ba ma? Pakaligikap kasi. Pakaligikap. Pakaligikap. Nandaw ba? Ayan, kayo pala Luana, ba't naan luma? Sila ka ba Luan, controllable na? Sila ka ba Luan, controllable? Every now and then, balik-balik na lang kang paluwas mo? 
Balik-balik na kang paluwas, no? Yung pila na kang balik-balik paluwas, ba't naan? Yung pila kang bay, ba't naan paluwas? Parang nutiya. O, yung pila na. Provisions of law not unreasonable. A cursory study of the provisions of the law immediately reveals how tolerant, how reasonable the legislature has been. The law is made prospective and recognizes the right and privilege of those already engaged in the occupation to continue therein during the rest of their lives, and similar recognition of the right to continue as afforded associations of aliens. The right or privilege is denied to those only upon conviction of certain offenses in the deliberations of the court. On this case, attention was called to the fact that the privilege should not have been denied to children and heirs of aliens now engaged in the retail trade. Such provision would defeat the law itself, its aims and purposes. Besides, the exercise of legislative discretion is not subject to judicial review. This well settled that the court will not inquire into the motives of the legislature, nor pass upon general matters of legislative judgment. The legislature is primarily the judge of the necessity of an enactment or of any of its provision, and every presumption is in favor of its validity. And though the court may hold views inconsistent with the wisdom of the law, it may not annul the legislation if not palpably in excess of the legislative power. Furthermore, the test of the validity of a law attacked as a violation of due process is not its reasonableness, but its unreasonableness, and we find the provisions are not unreasonable. These principles are also answered various other arguments raised against the law, some of which are that the law does not promote general welfare, that thousands of aliens would be thrown out of employment, that prices will increase because of the elimination of competition, that uh, there is no need for the legislation, that adequate replacement is problematical, that there may be general breakdown, that there would be repercussions from foreigners, etc. Many of these arguments are directed against the supposed wisdom of the law, which lies solely within the legislative prerogative. They do not import invalidity, alleged defect in the title of the law. A subordinate ground or reason for the alleged invalidity of the law is the claim that the title thereof is misleading or deceptive, as it conceals the real purpose of the bill, which is to nationalize the retail business and prohibits aliens from engaging therein the constitutional provision, which is claimed to be violation in Section 21, Paragraph 1 of Article 6, which reads, No bill which may be enacted in the law shall embrace more than one subject, which shall be expressed in the title of the bill. What the above provision prohibits is duplicity. That is, if its, if its title completely fails to appraise the legislators or the public of the nature, scope, and consequences of the law or its operation, a cursory consideration of the title and the provisions of the law bills of the bills fails to show 
the presence of duplicity. It is true that the term regulate does not and many may not readily and at first glance convey the idea of nationalization and prohibition, which terms express the two main purposes and objectives of the law. But regulate is a broader term than either prohibition or nationalization. Both of this have always been included within the term regulation under the title of an act to regulate the sale of an intoxicating liquors. The legislature may prohibit the sale of intoxicating liquors within the meaning of the Constitution requiring that the subject of every act of the legislature shall be stated in detail the title to regulate the sale of intoxicating liquors, etc. sufficiently expresses the subject of an act prohibiting the sale of such liquors to minors and to persons in the habit of getting intoxicated, such matters being properly included within the subject of regulating the sale. The word regulate is of broad import and necessarily implies some degree of restraint and prohibition of acts usually done in connection with the thing to be regulated. While word regulate does not ordinarily convey meaning of prohibit, there is no absolute reason why it should not have such meaning when used in delegating police power in connection with a thing, the best or only efficacious regulation of which involves suppression. The general rule is for the use of general term in the title of a bill. It has also been said that the title need not be an index to the entire contents of the law. I. Sutherland Statutory Construction, C4803, page 345. The above rule was followed. The title of the act in question adopted the more general term regulate instead of nationalize or prohibit. Furthermore, the law also contains other rules for the regulation of the retail trade which may not be included in the term nationalization or prohibition, so where the title changed from regulate to nationalize or prohibit, there would have been many provisions not falling within the scope of the title which would have made the act invalid. The use of the term regulate, therefore, is in accord with the principle governed the drafting of statutes under which a simple or general term should be adopted in the title which would include all other provisions found in the body of the act. <clears throat> One purpose of the constitutional directive that the subject of a bill should be embraced in its title is to apprise the legislators of the purpose, the, nature, the nature and scope of its provision, and prevent the enactment into law of matters which have received the notice, action, and study of the legislators or of the public. In the case of bar, it cannot be claimed that the legislators have been apprised of the nature of the law, especially the nationalization and the prohibition provisions. The legislators took active interest in the discussion of the law and a great many of the persons affected by the prohibitions in the law conducted a campaign against its approval. It cannot be claimed, therefore, that the reasons for declaring the law invalid ever existed. The objection must therefore be overruled.
alleged violation of international treaties and obligation. Another subordinate argument against the validity of the law is the supposed violation thereby of the Charter of the United Nations and of the Declaration of the Human Rights adopted by the United Nations General Assembly. We find no merit in the nation's charter imposes no strict or legal obligations regarding the rights and freedom of their subjects, and the Declaration of Human Rights contains nothing more than a mere recommendation or a common standard of achievement for all peoples and nations. That such is the import of the United Nations Charter 8 of the Declaration of Human Rights can be inferred the fact that many mem that members of the United Nations organizations such as Norway and Denmark prohibit foreigners from engaging in retail trade and in most nations of the world, laws against foreigners engaged in domestic trades, trade are adopted. The Treaty of Amity between the Republic of the Philippines and the Republic of China of April 18, 1947 is also claimed to be violated by the law in question. All that the treaty guarantees is equality of treatment to the Chinese nationals upon the same terms as the nationals of any other country, but the nationals of China are not discriminating against because nationals of all other countries except those of the United States who are granted special rights by the Constitution are all prohibited from engaging in the retail trade. But even supposing that the law infringes upon the said treaty, the treaty is always subject to qualification or amendment by a subsequent law, and the same may never curtail or restrict the scope of the police power of the state. So in conclusion, resuming what we have set forth above, we hold that the disputed law was enacted to remedy a real actual threat and danger to national economy posed by alien dominance and control of the retail business and free citizens and country from dominance and control that the enactment clearly falls within the scope of the police power of the state through which and by which it protects its own personality and ensure its security and future that the law does not violate the equal protection clause of the constitution because sufficient grounds exist for the distinction between alien and citizen in the exercise of the occupation regulated nor the due process of law clause because the law is prospective in operation and recognizes the privilege of aliens already engaged in the occupation and reasonably protects their privilege that the wisdom and efficacy of the law to carry out its objectives appear to us to be plainly evident. As a matter of fact, it seems not only appropriate but actually necessary and that in any case such matter falls within the prerogative of the legislature with whose power and discretion the judicial department of the government may not interfere. That the provisions of the law are clearly embraced in the title and this suffers from no duplicity and not and has not misled the legislators or the segment of the population affected and that it cannot be said to be void for supposed conflict with treaty obligations because no treaty has actually been entered into on the subject and the police power may not be curtailed or surrendered by any treaty or any other conventional agreement. Some members of the court are of the opinion that the radical effects of the law could have been made less harsh in its impact on the aliens. Thus, it is stated that the more time should have been given in the law for the liquidation of existing businesses when the time comes for them to close. Our legal duty, however, is merely to determine if the law falls within the scope of legislative authority and does not transcend the limitations of due process and equal protection guaranteed in the Constitution. Remedies against the harshness of the law should be addressed 
to the legislature. We are beyond our power and jurisdiction. The petition is hereby denied with cost against petitioner. Sa harap, sakit daw eh.